This is our weekly Mimer class. What Mimer are we learning? Remember the long name of this Mimer? Tanu Rabbanan Mitzvah Ner Hanukkah. Very good. And what, what's the theme? Hanukkah. Good. Correct. Okay. And we're up to chapter seven. seven. I think we might be able to finish. With Hashem's help, we might be able to finish today this Mimer. And uh, just to pique your interest, Remember at the beginning of the Mimer, in chapter 1 of the Mimer, there were a, a few questions? So, in the coming chapters, in the concluding chapters of this Mimer, those questions are answered. Yeah, so you get some resolution there. Okay. Let's just jump right into chapter 7. Remember we were talking about in chapter 6, um, that idea of the Mesiris Nefesh, the self-sacrifice that the Jews had to have at that time. That all the different levels of a person are corruptible. Our behaviors can be compromised, our emotions can be compromised, our thinking can be compromised. Even certain transcendent or transcendental levels can be compromised. But then there's this core called the Yechida, which is our absolute essential oneness. Essential as in unchanging. It is what it is. Our essential oneness with God. And that's the one thing that's incorruptible. And that was symbolized by that tiny little jug of pure oil. And in, in each and every one of us, there's that tiny little jug of pure oil that is incorruptible. That's the Yechidah Nefesh, the essence, the core of the soul that is always at one with God, even when other levels of the psyche have been compromised. Okay. Sounds familiar, right? Okay, so flowing right from there into chapter 7. Now, the nature of this victory, we said the victory was facilitated by bringing out that core of the soul through an act which was completely irrational, meaning this self-sacrifice that came out. We're going to take on this superpower, which on paper doesn't make sense. The, the nitzachin, the victory that that leads to, is bishlemus. That's the key word there, bishlemus, complete, thorough, entire. What does that mean? What does that mean? Complete means, okay, so first of all, when the essence comes out, it permeates all levels even down to the most, now we're talking the microcosm of the person. When your core is revealed, it permeates all levels, including the most external level, which is behavior. That in every single level of the person, it is recognizable that there's a Jew who is in a mode of self-sacrifice. Like, it says about Avraham, our forefather Abraham, Ekev Hashem Avraham Bekeli. Hashem said, because, Ekev, because Avraham listens to my voice, takes heed to my voice, obeys me. What's the little uh, lesson there? Shayadeya Mesiris Nefesh that through his self-sacrifice, Paul the Gamho Akev. Ekev, Akev, it's a pun. Heel, Akev is a heel. Akev means because, Akev means, it's the same letters, Akev means a heel, that even the heel, Shalai of Avram, Shama, hears, Hot Derhert, 
And in Yiddish, der Hert is more than hearing, not auditory processing, but der Herin is to, to recognize something on a, on a cognitive level as well, to appreciate something. The command of Hashem. In other words, when that core of the soul is revealed, it affects us on all levels, even down to the heel. And the heel isn't just the lowest part of the body, it's also a very numb part of the body. You'd rather get uh, a piece of lint on your heel than in your, under your eyelid, right? Right? No? You're thinking about that? Yeah, I would. Okay. <laughs> I don't think you'd even notice. Okay. But furthermore. Okay, so furthermore means we're going to add something. When the, when the soul's core is revealed, first of all, it affects all levels, even down to the lowest level, which is behavior. Meaning we get alignment. All the different levels of the person become aligned, congruent. But, and that's what we mean by shleimus, wholeness. But, hine oidzeis, but furthermore, another aspect of this is that when the yechida is revealed, there is no opposition. There's no opposition. When you're operating on a level that conforms with logic. Or even when you're on that level that is above logic, but the fact that you're going above logic is predicated on your recognition that according to logic there must be something above logic. There can be opposition. Remember we spoke about this earlier, that there's that level, the three first three levels, nefesh, ruch, neshama, that's behaviors, emotions, intellect, and those are all we call inside of us because they're expressed within the normal range of our humanity. And then there's the mekifim, the transcendental levels, encompassing levels. So the first of those two, we call it the makifakarev, the closer Encompassing. Remember, we talked about like clothing in a house. Clothing is on you. Food is in you. Clothing is on you. A house is around you. Okay. So that level of chaya, the first level of makif, it's a makif. So it's faith as opposed to intellect. But it's faith that's predicated on the fact that intellect recognizes its limitations and concedes to the fact that there must be something beyond it. And on, even on that level, although it's transcendent, there is opposition. Like Shlomo Melech said, Hashem created a system where there's one opposing the other. So there's always a point-counterpoint in every level of creation, except for Etzim, except for Yechida. Okay, yeah. So you're always going to get pushback on every level. There's always a menagate. There's also always a counterbalance on every one of these levels, even on the level of Chaya, which is a, transcend, which is a transcendent level which is serving Hashem above logic, but it's serving Hashem above logic because your logic, it's a logical imperative to recognize there must be something above logic. I have no idea what's going on. Yes, you do. Yes, you do, and you're going to relax, and you're going to be fine. And you're going to be fine. And you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Okay? Okay. By the way, it's all... it's always the person who says they have no idea what's going on who understands 99.5% of everything going on. And then the person who's completely confident they got it all, fill in the blank. Just opening up space for anyone. 
Oh, that's so nice. Okay. That's okay. Thank you for doing that. Okay. All right. All right. So, well, let, 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 we're all, this is all internal. Yes, it's all microcosm. We're talking, what do you think we're talking? You think, we, you think we're interested in the world? We're talking about ourselves. In, internal opposition. Yeah, of course. We're, this is the microcosm. We're taking a trip into the inner space over here. Okay. Masha'en king. So uh, that I say that last word. Even on the level that's above logic, but it's above logic because logic dictates there must be something above logic. There could there, there's opposition. Not so when you reveal your yechida, your core. There is no opposition. You understood that. I'm going to say it slowly, and you're going to say, oh, yeah, I knew that. Okay. We said that there's the core of the soul that is just at one with Hashem, not because of anything it's doing, that's just what it is. And it's often buried very deep. When we do something completely counterintuitive, irrational, and frankly, with no regard for ourselves, like going to war with a superpower, um, that essence comes out. Because there's no other way to account for that type of behavior. So that's that essence coming out. So what we explained is when that essence comes out, there's a certain completeness to the effect. Completeness is in two ways. First, we said it affects you on all levels. Because a lot of stuff happens on only one level. It only goes so deep. It doesn't go deeper. You know, like we learn in Tanya, sometimes uh, you choose the right behaviors even when you're not feeling it. When the core comes out, you get perfect alignment on all levels. So that's the first thing of completeness. The other aspect of completeness is completeness in the sense of there is no opposition. There is no opposition. What? Oh, well, that's a good question. What happens to the opposition? If you'll be patient, that will be answered. And when you ask a question like that, it means you're on the right track. What happens to the opposition? Table that question, and God willing, very soon we'll have the answer. Okay. So, so th there is no opposition. When we operate on a level of behavior or emotion or intellect, those are the three internalized levels, nefesh, ruch, and neshama. There's always opposition. There's pushback. Even if you go to the first level, the trans first transcendent level called Chaya, which we'll call it faith, meaning that which is above logic. But it's faith based on logic. It's that logic concludes that I can't know everything. So there could even be opposition on that level. But when you bring out the core, the core being, the essence, that it's not because of anything. It has no reason. It has no cause. It just is. Kind of like God. God just is. In fact, that's... I'm not even sure from a chicken and egg perspective. Do you say that that's our godliness because it's the part of us that just is? Or is that the part of us that just is because it's our core godliness? I'm not even sure. I think they're just intertwined. 
one is the other. They're synonymous, basically. It, they're, they're essence. So that which cannot be changed. That which is for no reason. Nothing started it. Nothing can end it. Deep stuff. The deepest. The deepest. So you're making a, a reference to Tanya. You want to, for the bonus, say which chapter and number? No, okay, 18. Yes, that is where the Ahava Mesuteris comes from. That We described in Tanya the phenomenon of irreligious Jews who were put to a test of faith and inexplicably died for their Jewish identity when their whole lifetime couldn't be bothered to observe mitzvahs. So we said there's, there's that essence that's just deep down and at certain critical moments, it comes out. And when it comes out, like we're saying here, all levels get aligned. And all of a sudden, they can't behaviorally even, on an external level, part from God. So how can we tap into this Oh, that's a great question. Okay, how do we tap into it? Okay, so that's definitely part of what we're learning here, is how to tap into this. First of all, you know, how do you work out a muscle group that you didn't know existed? So first, let's just do a little anatomy here and even understand that this exists. Okay. Vilei, let's keep going. And furthermore, when the core of the soul is revealed, it even affects the animal soul. There's a little Tanya for you who are here on Mondays. The essential crassness of the animal soul becomes transformed from one extreme to the other. So the effect of the etzim coming out is so thorough that not only does it align all of the godly soul, but it even brings aboard the animal soul. There's no resistance anymore. There's just no resistance. Yeah, kind of like a tzaddik. Yeah. yeah. And now we can answer a question that we had earlier in the Mimer, in the beginning of the Mimer. Why? What's the difference between the Hanukkah lights and the original Beis HaMikdosh lights that they are supposed to be replicas of? First of all, in their numbers, how many Hanukkah lights are there? Eight. And how many lights were there on the Meneda in the Beis HaMikdash? Seven. Seven. Okay. So the number. Also the timing. Remember we said the lights in the Beis HaMikdash were lit during the daytime. The lights of Hanukkah are lit specifically at the nighttime. So what's up with the differences, those two differences? Because Hanukkah is this whole idea of bringing out the core the essence of the soul. Above the hishtalshlis, the seder, the order, the system. He says in parentheses, shiba adam, of the person. Remember, there's micro and macro. Remember before when we spoke about eight being above the system? We were talking about in the macro. We are talking about in Hashem's system of world building. But in the micro, the same is true as well. So when we speak about that which is completely transcendent within us. We're also talking about that same concept of, of above Hishtalshlis, the Hishtalshlis within a person, and that is the number eight. And that's why there are eight lights. 
that the number eight koshor is connected. like we said in chapter one, the level that's one more. Right, seven is the cycle of nature. You have seven days, and you come back to day number one again. Seven is the cycle of nature. Seven colors of the rainbow. Seven musical notes in the scale. Seven is the natural cycle. Eight is one more. It's off the chart. Like the difference between the harp in the temple, which had seven strands. And the harp in the times of the third temple when Mashiach comes, which will have eight strings. That's from the Talmud, from Erechen. Gemara and Erechen. Yep, they're going to rewire the harp strings. They're going to have eight strings. The seven and the eight. Although the holy temple was the holiest place in the world. Especially the harp. You know what the harp was? The harp was so special. The kino oisis chav vav begematria de shema vaya neer neer hashem nishmas odem. The kinoir, kinoir is harp, is chav nun vav resh. That is, so take the chav and the vav, which is 26, which is Hashem's name, yudke vavke, and then nun in resh is neer, is candle, so it's neer hashem, the candle of Hashem. Like Shlema Melech says in Mishli in Proverbs, Ne'er Hashem nishmas odem. Hashem's candle is the soul of man. The harp represents the soul of man. So it's a really holy thing. And yet, Mekol Mokim, nevertheless, Hurak Shlemus to say there's It's only the perfection within the system, and therefore, seven. V'lochin ha'ya shel shivas nimin, therefore, seven strings. Mashain kain, however, in contrast, b'yameisa Mashiach, when Mashiach comes, she'gili shalamayla v'say d'rishtalsos, sh'mavaya d'la'ela, there will be a revelation above the normal system, which we call the higher sh'mavaya, yeshel sh'mena nimin, then you're going to have eight strings. V'zeu gam atam sh'nedes chanukah halukin minedes ha'mikdash, gam bizman hadlakosim. And this now leads into why we light them at different times. So we explained the number. The reason for the difference in the number is actually the same as the reason in the difference between the times. Let's just make sure you understood. The difference in the numbers is because the lights of the base of English represent the pinnacle of holiness within the natural system. Seven. Hanukkah represents beyond great. Okay, so the same answer, the same concept regarding the different times. Masha mitzvah shall ner Hanukkahi mishetishka chama. This, that the lighting time of the menorah for Hanukkah is when the sun goes down. Kidavka aide agilid de bechinas. Because that's when you see that the essence coming out is able to transform even the darkness. Remember we spoke about that complete alignment. No opposition. So when do you see that? When there's darkness to transform. Okay, here's your answer. What happens to this opposition? What happens to this opposition? Okay, 
Not only does the darkness no longer conceal, the, the dark becomes light, the dark becomes light, that's why also when the sages describe the time window, it's interesting, they don't give a time like 10 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 12 o'clock. They describe the time as when the foot ceases from the marketplace, when no more people are walking around outside. Now there's a simple reason. A simple reason why they describe it that way, because lighting the menorah is for pursuing Nisa, it's for publicizing the miracle. How can you publicize if there's nobody out there? Okay, that's the simple reason, but there's a deeper reason. Until no one's walking around in the marketplace, or like the Gemara says, Adekalia rigle de termadoi, until the feet of the termadoi, that's an ethnicity, stop, cease in the marketplace. Tormodoi were uh, a certain ethnic group. They came from a certain city, and apparently they were mostly involved in selling wood splints. You don't see a lot of people selling wood splints nowadays because we have electricity. But before electricity, at night or before nightfall, if you wanted to have any type of light going in your house during the night, you would run out in the late afternoon and you would buy these glowing wood splints from these guys. They had a business, that's what they did, okay? And they, where would they do this? They didn't have a shop, you didn't go to their, they would walk around in the street. Now eventually people go to bed. I'm just describing the way it worked. This is an actual, I don't know, a little history lesson here. Eventually people go to bed and no one's really buying more of these glowing wood splints. You understand, they're wood splints that are on fire. They're selling fire, okay? So eventually there's no more customers and these Tormodoi guys go home. They're like the, the latest workers. So the Gemara says, how, when's the latest you can light the Menorah? If the Tormodoi are not walking around in the, in the marketplace anymore, then it's too late. Okay, so you understand on a practical level why they describe it that way, yes? Who are the last people who go home? Okay, great, that's it. All right, fine. So, but the expression is, until the feet of the Tormodoi cease. Now, these guys actually represent rebellion against Hashem's kingship. There's a couple levels of exegesis here. First of all, uh, their town actually had a little insurgency against Shlema Melech, against King Solomon. Uh, so that's that on a historical level. But also because Tarmoid, which is the name of their town, where I guess they originally come from, Oisius Meiredis is the same letters, play Scrabble, flip it around, anagram, Meiredis, which means rebel. Rebel. So they represent rebellion against Hashem. And they hang out in the marketplace. The marketplace is the public place. In Siddhis and Kabbalah, the Rishus Harabim, the public place, literally Rishus Harabim means the domain of the many. Domain of the many as opposed to the domain of the one. Holiness is called Rishus HaYachid, the domain of the one, oneness. 
And klipa, negativity, concealment is called reshus harabim, the place where we see multiplicity, where it looks like there's all types of different stuff, which we know is not really true. Really, there's only oneness. So these guys hang out in the reshus harabim. They represent negativity because they're rebellion against God. They're hanging out in the place where it looks like there are many different forces in the universe. That's their worldview. So you see what they represent. Through the light of the Menorah, it causes their feet to cease. There's two explanations, or two ways of interpreting that concept. One is, You could say that it means, Mechala means finishes off. That the Ner Hanukkah finishes them off. The Ner Hanukkah comes out, and it's like this repellent, or I don't know, this uh, just gets, it knocks them out. It just, boom, gets rid of these guys. Or you could say that the light of Hanukkah, it causes expiration. Like the expression the expiration of the soul, when the soul becomes so aroused that it leaves the body and it abandons its separate selfhood and becomes absorbed in the oneness. So even these low guys, these guys who represent lowness, they expire, meaning they, they pine and yearn to become absorbed and subsumed in the oneness. So there's two explanations. Or two answers. What happens with the negativity? One answer is, we knock it out. Get rid of it. The other explanation, using the same word, the same expression, is we cause them to be so, be, to be so spiritually aroused that they want to go up to their source and become one with the all. And those are two levels. Which one is true? They're both true. It depends on how thoroughly it happens. By the way, if I had to just make something up, it doesn't say it here, but I think this corresponds to the two levels of Tzaddik and Tanya in chapter 10. Mm. Tzaddik Rodaloi, Tzaddik Rotaylor. Tzaddik Rodaloi neutralizes the Ra so it has no effect on him, and effectively he has no Ra. But the Tzaddik Vitoyloi actually he transforms it. Yeah. Yeah. So at any rate, the Hanukkah lights are eight because they're above the system. They're the essence. And when the essence comes out, its effect is so complete that even the darkness becomes light, even the Tormadoi, these guys who represent rebellion against God, either they stop rebelling or even more deeply, they become part of serving God. For sure, of course, is, is their goal. Like of course. So that's what Hanukkah represents. Correct, right. Hanukkah is the trans. Hanukkah is that by revealing the essential bond with Hashem, not the external layers, not even our smart Jewish brains, because that's just a layer. The intellect is a layer. But by bringing out that essence, that simple Jew dedication of this is who I am. I can't even explain it doesn't make sense to me. Maybe it makes the opposite of sense. It doesn't matter. We call that Mesut Nefesh. That has the power to, 
first of all, get all the other layers in alignment, and furthermore, to knock out any opposition. And primarily, we're talking about internal opposition. You think our problem is external opposition? If we would all be okay with ourselves internally, the world would be at peace. This is all really internal stuff. And is that, was that their goal, to get rid of, like, the Greeks or whatever they call the Syrian Greeks? Yeah, I mean, that's always your question. You're always curious about how much did they know? Like, did they understand the spiritual mechanics of what but they were that doing? that was their goal, to get rid of this well, it, it was their goal to get rid of this inner essence. I don't know if they understood that that was what, was, what they hated. From their point of view, we were just bothersome because we wouldn't assimilate. Our Hasidic analysis of what is it about our nature that caused us to not assimilate? So we know the answer is that pesky essence that just, not only it can't be gobbled up and devoured and assimilated, but actually it does quite the opposite. It's, the, it's this tiny little nucleus within the soul, and when it, when it flashes, it just transforms everything. So how do we flash? How do we activate? Okay, so like I said, first of all, just be aware of it. Because I'll tell you something. How many of us are working really, really, really hard, but we're working on external levels? And so we're trying to do more, or we're trying to feel more, or we're trying to think more. And maybe the point of the mimer is just to realize that the most powerful tool you have is not doing anything. It's, it's just being who you were all along. It's really surrendering to a certain truth that was always there. It's not the creation of some, some new state, but it's accepting the essence and that that alone is a is a paradigm shift is the mysterious nefesh and the essential alignment only brought out by the darkness meaning does it have to be born in a condition of crisis? well you're asking a good question which is do we have to come to a point of crisis before we realize that we need to tap into our essence and the answer is we don't have to, but if it wouldn't be for the adrenaline rush of the last yeah. moment, then nothing would ever get done. Let's finish off this chapter. Shigam hamerdim, that even the rebels against God, will come to a level of the expiration of the soul. Okay, so that was chapter 7, basically explaining the thoroughness the completeness of the effect of bringing out the yechida, and that is the alignment of all the levels of the person, and that is also the elimination of any opposition, and that explains why there's eight candles, because eight is above the system. Uh, it explains why it's, the timing of it is, is at night, because it's the transformation of the dark, and we explained that it means either, what do we do with the dark? Either just get rid of it, or even better, transform it, like those two different uh, explanations of that Talmudic phrase about the Tormedoi. Either the word means they are eliminated or it means they become transformed. Okay. Chapter 8. Let's keep going. Chapter 8. Valpi kolanal yuvon hafergleich And now we can understand why this is a question that we asked in chapter 1. Why... 
was Hanukkah compared to Sukkot and the bulls that are sacrificed on Sukkot. Remember we spoke about mm-hmm. Beis Shammai says you light one less candle every night. You start with eight and you go down. And we said, why? And we said, well, because in the Beis Amikdash on Sukkot, they would, they would sacrifice one less bull as a public sacrifice every day of Sukkot. So we said, Hanukkah is eight days, Sukkot is eight days, great, there you go. So we learn one from the other. But we're like, okay, but why are they both eight days? Like, it's got to be a deeper connection than that. So now we're explaining. Ki inyan Sukkot, v'gam inyan pariyachag hu hisgalas hamakifim. Sukkot, as well as, Sukkot in general, as well as specifically the bulls that were sacrificed on Sukkot, represents the idea of the revelation of transcendent levels, makifim. We spoke about makifim, right? Within the person, you have nefesh, and neshama, which are three internalized levels. Then you have chaya and yechida, which are makifim levels. You understand what we mean by makifim? That it's like normally we're not in touch with it. It's sort of like hanging out there in the ether. It remains sort of elusive. It remains outside of our regular consciousness. The makifim, the transcendent levels. And there are two transcendent levels, one which is transcendent and one which is transcendent-er. No, the first one is chaya, and then yechida. Yechida is the one that's more transcendent of the two. Is the ether now the cloud? You mean the... Yeah, the computer. (laughs) (laughs) No, yes. I have no idea. I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so Sukkot and the bulls on Sukkot both represent the concept of his galus hamakifim, revelation of the transcendent levels. Do you understand that concept? Do you understand why transcendent levels need to be re- revealed? Do you understand why their normal default state is being unrevealed? Yeah, but could you repeat why they have to do the bulls? Don't worry yet. I just want you to answer my question. Why are makifim in need of revelation? Do you understand the default setting of something? If a joke went over your head, it means you didn't get it, right? So imagine like that. Makifim means it went over your head, so to speak. So you're not privy to it. You're not experiencing it. So, but, right. So revealing the, the makif is like taking that which is normally you're oblivious to it because it's like beyond your normal scope of awareness and revealing it, making you aware of it. Is that the essence we're trying to become aware of? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The, well, there are two levels of makif, and the deepest level of makif is is the yechida. Yeah, correct, yeah. So normally we're oblivious to it. what's the other one? Chaya and yechida, we said that. Okay, all right. And sukkah also represents this concept. Bidugma sukkah, like an actual sukkah, you know what a sukkah is? Hashem's hug for us, that's so sweet, that's true. And a hug goes around you. A sukkah goes around you, right? Kipshuta, literally, shemakefes is adam. It surrounds a person. So a sukkah is literally a makif. Do you eat a sukkah or do you go into a sukkah? You immerse yourself. You immerse yourself, very good. So a sukkah doesn't go into you, you go into it. Makif, okay, great. 
It's like the joke about two fish, and one says to the other one, do you believe in water? And the other one says, what's water? Right? So just around you. You don't even notice it. Okay. But on the eighth day of Sukkot, you know what the name we have for the eighth day of Sukkot? Shemini Atzeres, very good. And you know what Atzeres means? Stop. Stop, yeah. You know what else it means? Absorption. So it's taking the makifim of Sukkot and absorbing it, which is sort of oxymoronic, because makif means you go into it. But here, you're taking that which normally you immerse yourself in, and you're internalizing it. Is absorption the same thing as integration? Yeah, you could call it integration. So you're integrating the makifim. Shmini Yatzera says about integrating the makifim. So you have the eighth day. Bishmini dasukas, nimshochim hamakifim venetzorim gam bepnimios. We draw down the transcendent levels and absorb them even in an internal way. Meaning, all the, during the sukkas, seven days of sukkas, we were in it. Then on Shemini Atzeres, we put it in us. Similar to what we were describing in the previous chapter about Hanukkah, causing the alignment of all the levels. That when the essential Mesiris Nefesh comes out, it gets everything aligned. So it's a similar concept of the essence comes out, and everything sort of becomes integrated, or what was the word you used? Integrated. integrated? Oh, perfect. Yes, integrated. Exactly. That's why Sukkot and Hanukkah are both eight days. Remember we were saying, well, they're both eight days. That's why we learn one from the other. Yeah, but why are they both eight days? So now we explain. They're both eight days because they both re represent that which is above the natural order, represented by seven, coming out and having this thorough integrating effect on all levels. And the energy to access that is only on the eighth day? No, I didn't say that. Because it said Shemini Atzeret is when they're on the eighth day of Sukkot. Yeah, on Shemini that's when that happens. You're asking on Hanukkah, similarly, is it only the eighth day? No, I don't think that's implied. The Misper, yeah, I mean, Shemini Atzeres is a separate thing from Sukkot. Hanukkah is the same thing all eight days. Let's, let's, we're in the middle of a thought. The Misper Shemina, who, Aleph Zion. Eight is one seven, or Aleph Zion. Aleph is one, Zion is seven. You're going to say, yeah, no kidding, I know that. I can do math. I can do arithmetic. No, listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. This is so simple, you're not going to get it. I'm already getting annoyed with you guys because it's so simple, everyone here is going to be like, I didn't get it. It's so simple that you're not going to get it. But now that I told you that, you're going to get it. You know what Zion is, right? Seven. What's seven? Nature. Natural what? Order. Nature, natural order. Great. The system. Great. What's Aleph? Who knows one? One is Hashem, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So eight is Aleph Zion. One, nature. The oneness that permeates all of the natural order. Okay? Shoah Aleph, Shlemaila Mishdalshlis. The one 
who is above the system, he created the system, he's certainly above it, is drawn down into the natural order. Just like we said before, that Hanukkah affects the Tormadoi and what they represent in two ways that we explained. We, remember we said the two effects, the, the Hanukkah light has two effects on the Tormadoi. Either it knocks them out or transforms them. Okay. So the Aleph Zion. Hashem being revealed in His system. At first, it's a process. Mechala means gets rid of, eliminates. Umevatl neutralizes Aisam. But then afterwards, second phase, causes them, the opposition, to become part of holiness. Similar mechanics occur when we sacrifice the 70 bulls on Sukkot. Remember we said on Sukkot they've sacrificed 70 bulls over the, over the seven days? I think it's 12 bulls the first day, 11 the second, 10 the third, until finally you get 70. One less every day. And remember what those bulls represented? Nations of the world. Which represent the 70 nations of the world. Well, there's the United Nations, a lot more than 70 nations. <laughs> 70 ancient proto-nations. All the other nations are derivative of them. That at first, what does it cause? It causes that their power should diminish, just like every day there's one less bull. So actually what we are doing is we're diminishing their power. Okay, because we're just one sheep surrounded by 70 wolves, and this diminishes their power that they shouldn't pick on us. Okay, sounds like a useful trick. Yeah, useful tool. But then afterwards, it affects them that they should help the Jewish people in their mission. So first phase is just weaken them so they can't bother us. But that's not the ultimate thing. The ultimate thing is bring them over. Let them become part of the, the project. Like the saying of our sages, if the non-Jewish nations of the world would have known how good it was for them that the Holy Temple stood. Kestriois. It's a Talmudic word. I think it means like legions, armies. They would have sent their armies, their legions, to surround the Beis Amikdash to protect it. Instead of the Babylonians destroying the first temple and the Romans destroying the second temple, all the nations of the world would have sent their armies to Jerusalem to protect the temple, saying, nobody touch this! The world will not allow anyone to touch this! This is the source of blessing for all nations! If they would have known. They didn't know, so they didn't do that. But if they would have known. How should they know? How should they know? I wonder. How should they know? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Now you got homework. When we affect them in a manner of ishapcha, of transformation, 
Mitesef al yadim siyua gam bigdusha. They actually end up causing more holiness. So not only do they not oppose holiness, they actually cause a net gain in holiness. Shmiras hamikdush. They guard the temple, as a, an example. Valderach shi'elasidlavai. Similar to the way that it's going to be when Mashiach comes. Kasher us that what's going to happen then. Like the prophet says, At that time, I, Hashem, will transform all the nations of the world to serve together with one purpose. Then, it says, nations of the world will come and help the Jewish people to tend their flocks. Just like the 70 bulls that correspond to the 70 nations, in fact, it is the 70 nations being involved in what's going on in the temple during the seven days of Sukkot that makes possible what happens on the eighth day when there is that private sacrifice between the Jewish people and God. Shemini Atzeres represents the intimate oneness between Hashem and the Jewish people. Shemini Atzeres is there was that sacrifice of that one bull representing that private relationship. Remember the famous metaphor about the king who had a seven-day party, and at the end of it he said to his friend, hey, let's hang out and eat leftovers together in a VIP one-on-one party. And that's what Shemini Yetzirah represents. The Rebbe is saying here, you know what makes it possible that we have that one-on-one party on the eighth day? Is that during seven days we got the nations of the world on board. So in the end, our Jewishness is enhanced through the involvement of the non-Jews. And even those who started as opposition, okay, so at first we neutralize them, they shouldn't do damage. But then, that's not the ultimate point. The ultimate point is, they become helpers. They become our allies. Okay, there's, there's very little left. I want to just finish off the mimer. So it's going to go quickly, but, all right, that was the end of... Chapter 8, let's do chapters 9 this is the practical instruction to everyone in Golis. You know what the purpose of the darkness of Golis is? To activate your Mesiris Nefesh. So you're asked, could we do this not with a crisis? Yeah, but, you know, crisis seems to bring out the best in us. So, at any rate, Golis... A lot of people think Gullus is a punishment. Gullus is an opportunity. It is the opportunity to force us to dig deep, not deep, deepest, to the core, to the essence. And then we will refine the darkness and even turn it into light. That's by getting every individual Jew together unified. Or at least the majority, and the Rebbe invokes the legalistic principle that a majority 
is also sometimes considered a totality. In other words, it sounds like that I was kind of like bargaining with Hashem a little bit there. If we can't get everyone, at least can we get the majority, and that should count like we got everyone involved. Vafilo al yidei mitzvah achas shel echad Yisrael that I was bargaining down, and it could even be one mitzvah. Doesn't mean every single person has to be completely religious. You know, maybe just get one more Jew to do one more mitzvah will be enough to transform the darkness permanently. Hain b'maisa could be an action. Hain b'dibur could be speech. Hain b'machshava could even just be a thought. The Rebbe is a good negotiator for us, okay? And now he quotes the Rambam, because the Rambams are a, a legal authority. So now it's got legal, now it's not just uh, inspirational ideas here, it's an actual legal concept. Like the Rambam says, one good deed can tip the scales of merit for the person who did it and for the entire universe. So the Rebbe is saying, basically, let's use the opportunity of the darkness of Gaulus to get Jews on board, to even add one more good thing, and that could be the thing that transforms the darkness to light. Okay, that was the end of chapter 9, now chapter 10, and we're going to be finished with the mimer. Let's go. Chapter 10. Valachas kama v'kama. How much more so? Al yidei sofa b'kiyam mitzvah ner Now, it would be especially mm, powerful, potent, if the mitzvah that we were to add on in would be the mitzvah of Ner Hanukkah, the Hanukkah lamps. And, and that means, in a simple way, either you doing that mitzvah more uh, beautifully with more hidur, although everyone does mahadunim and mahadunim already, so I don't know how you're going to add on to it, or, you know what's even better? Get others to do it. And by the way, last year we made a wedding on Hanukkah, and I had to buy uh, tin menorahs for the wedding hall. I have a whole box of them in my car. So if anybody wants to go and give menorahs out, like stand at the train station and say, hi, do you have a menorah? Uh, I have plenty. For my tab, when I was in 12th grade, I went with a friend on a seed program. We were the program, just me and my friend, and we went to Texas for, on Hanukkah. Oh, wow. And we got stopped in Chicago. There was a snowstorm. Always a snowstorm in Chicago. And we ended up, it was, I guess it was the first night of Hanukkah, and we connected with these Lubavitch girls, and we ended up... Oh, you went out giving them menorahs? Yes, in the airport. You never Chicago. told me. Well, now I'm saying... That was your inaugural Lubavitch experience? <laughs> what? Was that like your inaugural no, Lubavitch experience? Oh, you went to Camp Amuno. Oh, so you're already I'm indoctrinated. Ready. That's to say, you're, you're a goner. I'm a goner. Okay. So we stopped people, and we're like, excuse me, are you Jewish? Well, tonight's the first night of Hanukkah. That's amazing. Well, okay, so you know how to do it. I got a box full of tin menorahs in my car. We'll talk about it at the Fabrengen tonight, God willing. Okay. Okay, let's finish it off. Shemitzvah zu. That this mitzvah, the menorah lighting, Shaykh miyuchud li Yeshua v'hatzolah is especially connected to the idea of Yeshua v'hatzolah to salvation and rescue. Hagul ha-shetiyah al Mashiach, the redemption to Mashiach. Mekevin she-Mashiach v'cheine liyo mevasar agula heim ma'chmeinen nisichei adam. Now Mashiach and Elijah the prophet, Elijah announces Mashiach's coming, are both of the eight princes, Nesichei Adam. It talks about it in the Talmud, the idea of eight princes of men. In Yishmin is the Hanukkah. Well, you know, eight, eight is like the eight Hanukkah lights. The eight Inyan, Vashaychis HaMiyuchadis, the Nenis Hanukkah Lugulo Asida. Here's another connection of Hanukkah to redemption. So one connection is Mashiach 
as well as Elio, who announces Mashiach's coming, are both part of that list of eight uh, princes, and eight is everything we've been saying it is. Okay, but here's another thematic connection to the ultimate redemption. The commission Neres Chanukah ein la'elam. Neres Chanukah are never bottle. Remember we said that before, that they're never bottle? Um, the, the lights of the Beis HaMikdash, unfortunately, went out when the temple was destroyed. Haven't been lit in 2,000 years. The lights of Hanukkah continue to be lit, even in exile. So the Hanukkah lights never go out. So just like the Hanukkah lights, which never go out, the future redemption is a permanent redemption. We've had redemptions in the past. They just were temporary. That after this coming redemption, it's not possible. Not only there, will, not only there won't be another Gullus after the coming Geula, it can't be. It just can't be. The, you know what we were saying before, when the etzim comes out, when the essence comes out, just every level gets thoroughly aligned. So that's what it is. The, this coming redemption is a redemption where the essence of everything, the essence of creation, the essence of the purpose of the world, will come out, and that's it. Once that happens, it's so thorough, there's no negativity left because it all gets transformed. That's what redemption is. That's what Mashiach is. Also, the third temple is a permanent eternal house. Yeah, it's a physical structure, and physical things aren't normally eternal. This one will be. You understand how this is all connected with the Hanukkah theme of absolute alignment to the point where even negativity becomes absorbed and transformed. Okay. With the coming Mashiach, may he come speedily and redeem us and lead us upright to our land. Amen. Okay. And that is our Mimer. So Happy Hanukkah. What do we do with it? What do we do with it? Right. Well, first of all, we'll talk more about it at the Fabrengen. Okay. Bottom line, yeah. Yeah. find a Jew who needs a menorah. You know what? When you come home at 10 p.m. and say, kids, I'm sorry it's late, but I'm standing at the train station all night giving menorahs to people who didn't have them, that's you'll... Th that's Yeah, it is Mesidus Nevesh. The way you light your menorah will be on a whole new level. 